live from the studios of KZSU at Stanford University. I'm Susan Morris, and this is What Would Your Mother Say? Tonight, for the first time, we're having a full hour of a roundtable discussion between the mothers and students. The topics range from the honor code to parental expectations to the use of drugs and alcohol. Let me introduce everyone. Matt. Uh, Brent. Hello, Susan. Good to have you here. And Jessica. Hi, Susan. That's our student contingent. And Barbara, the other mother. Hi, Susan. I guess you and I are representing the parental view on today's show. Oh, and I'm loaded for bear. Good. You and I get to ask the questions that their own parents don't ask or don't want to or are afraid to. Okay, guys, I want to start off with talking about comparing the views of students versus the moms. Now, here's the question. When you're at home, do you feel like you're a guest or are you family? Matt? Uh, as long as I'm able to use my dad's BMW, I feel like family in a lot of regards. Um, <laughs> and that's, yeah, I mean, definitely. You feel that you can just take the car and... Yeah, I mean, it's, well, it's the limits that my... The limit, I'm sorry. Is this, it's the limits that, you know, my dad puts on me. My dad's... um. If my dad's willing to, you know, let me do certain things. I mean, it depends on how he's doing in a lot of cases. But, I mean, I oftentimes feel like family. I mean, it's um, it's it's nice going home. It's nice. It's like returning to your roots in a lot of regards. And Brent? Yeah, I, I totally feel like family. I guess the, the only time that I really felt kind of uncomfortable at one point was uh, when I came home and my parents had taken all of the decorations off of my door, uh, actually. So that's when I knew that the process of kicking me out of the house had begun. <laughs> yes. Uh, now, Jessica, yeah. tell me, when did you stop feeling? Or I, have, you, I have to offer a dissenting view here. I, I, didn't, I left home kind of young, and I don't feel like family there. I mean, I feel like I'm family, but I feel like I'm visiting family. I feel like I'm more distant family, like I'm some cousin that comes in and visits as opposed to like a daughter, you know, as do opposed you, to a child. Now, does that mean that you do chores? I mean, Barbara and I could talk about how we would like our family to act when they visit. I act like a house guest, really. You know, like, my daughter is most family when she acts like a house guest. <laughs> When she picks up after herself or volunteers to help at dinner and that kind of thing, and I think she is completely welcome, but I'll bet she feels like a guest. You know, sure. I, I think I'm probably in the same position as your daughter. Like, I, I treat them as I would treat a stranger who, well, not a stranger, but, you know, like a distant relative whose house I come to, and I wash, offer to wash the dishes, and I try not to be high impact as a guest, but I don't feel like I'm at home. So here's the question for the guys. Do you actually do those kind of things, like, um, that make someone so welcome? Well, I mean, I live with my dad only, so <laughs> it's one of these things where, um, you know, we don't clean the house. We don't do really anything. You have a, cl- you have, your dad has uh, a cleaning woman. A cleaning lady, so I go there, sleep. And I basically, you know, just uh, I eat my uh, eat my dad's um, food there and, and such, and without even you know really paying attention to how the house is going and such. Well, he definitely has lower standards too than like the typical household. But you know, as Susan refers to, does she have a cleaning woman? I mean, that's what the woman in the house is typically. I don't care who comes <laughs> in and helps you with the kitchen. That's what the lady does. The mom is a cleaning. Yeah. <laughs> I I hate to say it. You're right. And when the kids leave, I actually got kind of frustrated with my daughters because they were being very conscientious. They would strip the beds. And throw all the laundry, up. they'd leave it by the bed or, um, or put it in the basement. And I'd be stuck with these unmade, you know, the mattresses exposed. And it would drive me crazy. I finally said, look, just make the bed and maybe someone else can sleep in the sheets. Well, you know, I have a funny story about that. I had uh, house guests and I always, they always say, what can we do before we leave? And I always say, change the sheets. And it's not because I believe they're so dirty, but because I 
think people have an expectation that they're going to be sleeping on fresh sheets. And so uh. if they don't change them, for example, they know me, the cleaning lady, is going to. Anyway, <laughs> so I said to the lady, uh, please change the sheets. And she said, oh, Barbara, there's been no come and go on these. They don't need them. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, okay, well then. Yeah, I was put right in my place. Oh, that's great. Thanks oh, for gosh. sharing. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, uh, okay, here's another question. When did you know that you're, when, how, how do you know when your parents are happy to see you when you come home? Brent? I mean, you know, when your mom does everything for you and she's happy about it and, you know, anything you want right at the beginning, you know, everything's great. You're home. They're just happy to have you around. But, you know, as, as time goes on, <laughs> you're all of a sudden I'm expected to do more things. And uh, <laughs> that's when I realized that, all right, it's definitely not the first day I came home again. <laughs> Nat? Um, when my dad lets me drive the BMW, that's about it. That's when I know I'm really welcome home. Um, <laughs> and then when he says, uh, Matt, uh, Return the keys? Uh, uh, yeah, well, that's usually when I'm leaving. So it's good. Really well. I mean, I get to drive myself to the airport in the BMW. And you know, nice. Matt, you're like a food focused dog on that BMW. That's a nice BMW. <laughs> I, just, I just went down to LA this weekend and I was driving it. And um, God, what kind is it? Uh, I don't even know. My, all I know is my dad doesn't take it to its full potential. He's a slow driver. To its full potential. <laughs> now we should explain that your mom passed away uh, a year or two ago. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. So you, so your mom isn't there to say, "Okay, Matt." <laughs> it's basically a bachelor's pad. I was yeah. gonna say it sounds like a test. Testosterone mobile. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds awesome. That's what it sounds like. Yeah, next week we want to hear the model of that thing. Uh, Well, Jessica, so give us a sign of when you know that you are uh, welcome. They're so thrilled to see you. You know, it's interesting. Like they... When when they're thrilled to see me, like like you said, it's you know whatever you want. I come home, my mom makes me this dinner that's like exactly you know. Oh, I know you like steak, so I made you a steak. That sort of thing. Um, when is it time? When do I know that they're getting less less pleased with my appearance in the house? Like there's more like oh, we're gonna go off and do our own thing for like the next two days. So <laughs> <laughs> so amuse yourself. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and, and what time is your plane? Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, now, do you think that there's any place uh, for curfews at home for students who have been having all the freedom in the world? Uh, my dad tried to do the whole curfew thing um, when I got back from college. It doesn't work. I mean, it just, <laughs> it's like, how can it work, right? When you're basically out at Stanford, for instance, drinking until 3 o'clock in the morning, and then you come back, I mean, like, and your parents are all of a sudden, like, you have to be home at mid- midnight. It just doesn't make any sense. I mean, it's something that, like... All right. All right, Matt. But how about this? All right. I'm a firm believer in the school of nothing good happens after 1 a.m. Wait, I totally disagree. (laughs) No, no. I think they're going to say everything good happens after. The best things. Does it ever include sober? You don't have to be drunk for good things to happen. (laughs) Oh, I think I am in for an education. So so wait a sec. Let's go back. So you're saying, and Matt, Brent, I guess you're agreeing that forget curfews. I mean, come on. Oh, yeah. That's absolutely ridiculous. I okay. mean, just because you're home, it's time to stay in at midnight. I mean, uh-huh. you got to uh-huh. let your kids yeah. go. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. Well, yeah. the man and the woman, the parent. <laughs> well, okay. What, what about the, the parents? I mean, Barbara, come on. We've got to stick up for our, you know, we say, wait a minute. No, p- 
parents wake up. Your kids are doing whatever they want when they're at college just yeah. because you're going to try and hold them but back at the home. It's ridiculous. The beauty of college, you don't see it. Plain and simple. <laughs> that's why parents and kids survive college. Well, don't stay and parents up. knew we'd be crazy. Absolutely crazy. <laughs> but wait a minute. Aren't you guys were in college once too? Right. right? So you know these yeah. things happen. You uh, turned out okay. Let like, me just why they, do you have... they, were, they were in college in the good old days where nothing bad ever <laughs> right, happened. Right, the 1960s yeah, yeah. when everything was so sedate <laughs> yeah, and so calm. When we were in college, we took our exams on wet clay tablets. However, <laughs> my sister, who's only a few years ahead of me, really did have uh, curfews in her dorm. 10.30 during the week. And oh, like, was that just mid- for women, though? It was Back just for women. I mean, right, every, yeah. And so the men had to have maid service and, and all that cl- stuff. And they checked you in. I mean, there was no question about that. So, you that. know, to be perfectly honest, while I'm really perfectly happy for my kid to have a wonderful social life when she's not at home, I don't want to see it. I don't want to see it all summer. I don't I want to see it Christmas vacation. I that. Because yeah. I think, like, when I would become a parent, and maybe this will completely change when I actually am a parent, but I would think, like, I'd want to know what they're doing, uh-huh. whether it's... Good or bad. Like, I just want to know them because they're a person. And for me, too, I, I, would, I would want to, like, you know, if my kid got drunk, I totally want to pull them aside and say, what were you drinking? You know, like, what was that? Did you enjoy the particular type of drink you were having? Yeah, and maybe like, have a bonding moment and say, you know, just be careful. But, like, hey, maybe we should go out and drink together. It'd oh, you sound like Ted experience. Kennedy. It'd be a great bonding experience. <laughs> I think so, too. No, wait know. a minute. Are you saying you'd like to get drunk with your mother or dad? Oh, man. Jackpot. That would be awesome. <laughs> you, totally um, you're kidding. I don't know. My family's a little bit different because my dad gets drunk a lot, actually. Um, and um, and when I was a kid, we'd all kind of sit around and we could drink with him or not as we chose. So I have a very different relationship with alcohol. I don't like to drink particularly. So I don't. I didn't have like the whole wild college, oh, I get to drink kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, because it's not funny. So it's not funny yeah, yeah. and it's also not like that much fun. Like, I don't know. So I drink for flavor. Like I drink wine occasionally or something. But so, so it's a little different with me. But I think that's sort of a different circumstance than like just wanting to know what your kid's up to because they're, you know, like they're an adult that you know very, very well and... You know what I think of them as, though, um, as an adult in transition, without yeah. the full responsibilities or even privileges of adulthood, because they're yeah. not—they're kind of moving into that zone. But I'd yeah. like to talk to the guys who want to <laughs> drink with their parents. Besides the folks picking up the bill, I mean, don't oh, you yeah. honestly think that's is there anything plus. about seeing your dad hammered that's attractive? Well, I, <laughs> I think it's more of the the getting to the hammered point. That I think would be really fun sitting yeah. down and just drinking, you know, with my parents. Like, I think that would be definitely. And, an but, and this experience. doesn't happen. Um, I mean, you know, glass of wine with dinner. That they don't get hammered, but, pass out, throw well, up. Right. Well, I, I, see, <laughs> my I dad was a really fun that. drunk, though. <laughs> like, he would sing Irish folk songs. Hey, it's and, always about the Irish folk songs. Yes, right. exactly. I, I want to hear all the stories that they never told oh. me, <laughs> but, you know, that they've been hiding for years. Well, that, that's one of my questions. Do, do you kids want to know what your parents did. Yeah, I, I, there's, yeah. this great, there's a great story about my dad who uh, he used to do some State Department work and he went over to Iran and apparently had some some coke as an experience, as like an experiment in Iran with the like the Iranian police, and that when I heard that I was like, and I had also known he had done some pot. When I heard that, I was like, how could I not do pot, knowing that <laughs> yeah, of all people went out and did pot? Oh, you mean ridiculous. you want to live up to your father's? No, I mean, he's, he's such a straight-laced guy that when I saw that, it's just kind of like, I mean, come on. I think it gives you a not better perspective. Coke, but, yeah. Of course. Not, not. I think it gives you perspective on your on your own life timeline, like to see your parents' life timeline that they weren't always the way you see them now, and that they won't always 
be the way you see them now and you weren't always like it gives you this perspective on the human lifespan and where you can go like even if you're wild and crazy now you'll probably be sedate by the time you're 42 well i was founded 42 uh, 40. how old is that <laughs> holy smoly i i okay. told my kids probably 60. more than they wanted to know about <laughs> where i had gone to school what courses i'd taken they're going yeah 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 well that's still stuff susan but i they want to know well, I don't, I won't. I don't you know, know if they to did know. want to know who I dated or they no, want to they don't know. want to know who you dated. They want to know. I don't think who you dated. I well, think so. How you dated. <laughs> do you, I don't think they do. I don't think oh, kids did. So you want to know who your I parents? No, I, I don't. I don't really want to know anything sexual about my parents' past. <laughs> you know, the visual is just too awesome. Well, yeah, that's one. That's one big problem with it. And the other is, yeah, let's have my dad right there telling me about all the girls he's dated in front of my mom. That sounds like a great scene. Uh, but you know, all the other things, getting in trouble with like police or drugs and stuff, that'd be fun to listen to. Let me ask you guys this, though. I mean, truthfully, what parents spend a lot of their time doing is trying to be kind of a model for their kids. Are you saying that by the early 20s, you can can that stuff and let it go? Well, I, I, think, th- I think part of being a model for your kids is realizing that they should have, you know, different kinds of experiences and take chances, but they should realize that that kind of behavior, you know, should come to an end at some point and that you should really grow up. If you're out there listening, give us a call. We want to get your input on this discussion. Our number is 650-723-9010 or email us at whatwouldyourmothersay at kzsu.org. The more input, the better. be interesting to hear what other people out there are thinking as we're talking about. Maybe we'll get a mom saying, I really don't want to tell my son (laughs) what I did or how much I drank. Um, But uh, I'll be honest. I would be um, very uncomfortable being... Giving my daughter sexual information about my college years. I mean, mean, I'm not terribly proud of my experience to begin with, and I don't think it reflected very well on my sense of myself and all that stuff. And, uh, I mean, the word... I won't say slut comes to mind, but I was certainly much looser than Damn. I think is wise or appropriate. <laughs> then you would want your daughter. Oh, now she knows. Yeah. I mean, the whole yeah, right. <laughs> Not every, the everybody knows. Everybody driving from San Francisco yeah. to San Jose. <laughs> and that was Susan speaking. <laughs> the fake name. There we go. There we go again. Anyway, I'm, it's I'm, uh. Well, now, did your parents do drugs when they were young? I mean, the, my my mom grew up in the '60s, and my dad was, I think, going to law school during the '60s. I have, I mean, I know they've told me, you know, that they've done, and I have, I have a pretty strong belief that most people in my parents' positions probably did drugs at some. It's the '60s. A lot of people did pot. Well, now tell it. me though, did how do you feel about parents injecting their opinions about your drug use if you were to use drugs? Do you want to say, look, parents? Um, out of my life, don't interfere. No, it's one of those things that's more like, how dare you say I shouldn't do something when you yourself go off and do it all the time? I mean, like you did it when See, you were there's the damn. there's the, the problem. How dare, how can we reveal what's happened? It's a growing experience, right? I mean, what you do is you preface it and you say like, yes, this was something I was not happy about. But you can't tell the kid don't do it or else the kid's never going to know for him or herself. I mean, but this, have the parents say like, A, if it's drinking, I'd much rather do it with you at the beginning. That's something my parents always used to say is I'd much rather drink with you than like you go off with friends and get completely wasted somewhere else. I mean, the ways you can... But you're not 21 yet, are you? Of course not. Okay, and so I, like, (laughs) the message I gave my own kid was, it's not legal to drink. And so the answer is no, not 
Not with my but help. That's a cop out. No, I don't think that's a cop out. That's yeah. the law. No, that is the no, law. It's not, there's all kinds of ridiculous laws. And yeah, you need to form exactly. your own moral yeah. opinions well, of things. Well, exactly. Same thing with you know marijuana. I have no problem with other people and myself smoking marijuana occasionally. It's illegal. Who cares? Well, parents yeah. care. I, mean, I think. I think well, parents there are two care. issues. I mean, there's the moral and then there's the legal. Like you don't want your kid getting in trouble with the law just because. I mean, if I were a parent, like I right. would want my. <laughs> kid right. getting in trouble with the law just because it's a big hassle and it goes in the record and all this stuff but then there's your own personal moral opinion yeah. about whether or not you think it's right or wrong and i am i do you think it's moral to about your attitudes toward alcohol or drug i'm not drugs i'm not sure i would say a moral stance on it but well, I, I think if you're willing uh, to do it illegally there's a certain moral overtone uh, to that well i don't i, well, I think yeah, I just, the law ho- holds no moral power over me yeah. really i mean i don't judge my moral values based on what congress enacts there, there are ridiculous. plenty of things that are legal that are bad, and there are plenty of things that are illegal yeah. that are good. Like that, they don't necessarily coincide. Here's a question for you: When a parent such as myself would say, "You know, if you drink too much, the following could happen. You know, you could become an alcoholic, or you could have alcohol issues through your life, uh, et cetera, et cetera." What What do you think when a parent, or when even when I'm saying it right now, you're going, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, well, yeah." I, I think the safety issue is really important, and that's one of the things that my parents really kind of instilled in me. And tried to watch over me is all right. We want to know where you're sleeping that night, and we want to know it's going to be a safe place. We want to know nobody's going to drink and drive. I mean, those were the most important things: being safe, mm-hmm. and you know that was it. They, they didn't and say that's important because parents say very different things to young men than they do to young women. Yes, that's I'm, so true. I, I I think most parents would inject. Uh, Watch what happens. Watch who you're with. You know, but though uh, parents that allow their kids to drink in high school make me crazy. I think it's enabling a habit that is so difficult for the kids to manage. Yeah, but you know, I, you have to well, you have to lie to do it. You have to lie to get it. You have to lie about what well, you've that, done. It just creates a, a cascade set of behavior that's right, not but, very but attractive. The problem is, is then the people whose parents had the iron fist in high school come, come to, to college, college and have no idea what they're doing, and mm-hmm. those are the ones that are going to the hospital because they're in ambulance. You, you know, know what? That, I'm that not sure that that conventional wisdom is no, true statistically. Uh, no, I mean, have you t- seen that, Matt? Well, no. I mean, I know with me that I, you know, I didn't drink that much in uh, in high school, and you go off to college, and you know, like first of all, shots. Shots are very deceiving. Like a person who's never drank before will take. I mean, you hear so many stories about this. Will take seven, eight shots, and then all of a sudden they're out for the night. They, you know, they, they don't might realize. be out for good. They might be out for That's good. That's what's so crazy. But the the yeah. thing is, is like it's very important to teach your kids when they're young about drinking. I mean, like the Europeans do it. I mean, like why don't we do it? We're doing. We don't do it because it's a uh, you know I would say a puritanical society. Which oh man! Yes, Jessica. I want to add a slightly different perspective. I think it's more about caring than it is about particular rules. Like your, I think your kid has to know that you care about their experience, that it's safe, and that it's fun. So if you're coming down on them with you must be safe at all costs, but you don't care about whether or not they're enjoy themselves, whether or not they're with their peers, whether or not they have, like they get to, you know, do the kinds of things that they want to do at their age, then it isn't effective. It doesn't matter so much what the rules are, so much as that they know that you are thinking about all aspects of that for them, and you're not just trying to restrict them for the sake of restricting them. And I think what you say has a lot of merit. I'm just concerned that everything seems to be moving down age-wise. And so the, the parents, you know, that's why, and I know this crowd is tired of hearing about oral sex in middle school, uh, but it was, it was virtually, virtually unthinkable when Susan and I were growing school. up with the clay tablets. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I right. mean, I wasn't even sure exactly what it was. I couldn't imagine how it occurred, let alone having seen it in the movies. The, the same thing could have been said about your generation. A bunch of, uh-huh. uh, listen, first of all, like, you know, uh, 
kids in Woodstock and hippies and pot smoking, you know, kids and drugs we've never heard of and free sex. Oh, what you know the what they were afraid of in our on? generation? Rock and roll. Oh. Right. Yeah. It's not exactly the same fear that maybe we're watching Elvis on Ed Sullivan and getting <laughs> okay, excited. Sorry. I must have gotten the generation <laughs> it was confused. A, yeah, yeah, yeah. When, I think when Elvis Presley was on Ed Sullivan, they wouldn't show him uh, the, uh, below the chest. I mean, it was also yeah. so much more benign. It was very much more be, um, benign. But when you're saying about Woodstock, et cetera, and all those drug things, I I don't know. I mean, there was certainly a segment of society like that. See, but, Susan, you're wearing your Woodstock stock shirt today yeah so you don't have a- <laughs> i know my tie-dye shirt <laughs> i just wanted to show how how hip i was well we're going to take a short break now and when we come back we're going to talk about the honor code and does it work seven two three nine zero one zero, or send us an email at what would your mother say at kzsu.org Right now, there's a lot of news uh, going around about how students across the country are using electronic equipment to cheat. They're uh, using their um, iPod. They've recorded the answers into it, and then during the exam, they'll listen to it back. They're getting text messages with the answers, and schools are saying, obviously, there's a, an increase of this sort going on. Now, Stanford has an honor code, and I don't want to blind um, Stanford, but you know, it says that No exam is to be proctored because there is an assumption of innocence that people at Stanford do not cheat. And that's very unusual. I mean, in apparently at Harvard, um, with their, you know, their guidebook or their handy handbook for the students, they have like one short paragraph about the honor code or, you know, about not cheating. And then they have like 13 pages of what happens if you do cheat. So there's almost a presumption of guilt at, at Harvard. But Matt, how do, have you seen um, the honor code working? Uh, I mean, I've, in every test I've taken, I haven't seen anybody cheat. Uh, I mean, it's it, you don't get to Stanford and cheat necessarily. I mean, you'd have to be really under the gun to cheat at Stanford. Um, I think the honor code is more broken when it comes to papers that are due later on. Like you know, and that's more of a gray area. So if you have a paper due in two weeks and your entire class has a paper due in two weeks and you're outside the actual classroom and you're not taking an exam, that's when the line blurs. But the the honor, I mean, it's blurry in all situations. What is cheating? What isn't cheating? No one ever reports on each other. But then again, no one ever actually copies a paper off of each other. So there's never real, like, direct, there's never real anything that we would call cheating. It's, I've actually seen, like, yeah. lots of discussions. Like, the honor code's mentioned a lot, and that was really kind of unique mm-hmm. for me because I, I transferred here from Berkeley, and at Berkeley, there's no honor code. They watch you like a hawk all the time. There's no take-home exams. They, you know, proctors will, like, tap you on the shoulder if they think your eyes are wandering. It's this very environment of suspicion and fear, and it, it really is, I think, counterproductive in creating a sense of community at the college. But here, like, I notice people will talk about the honor code, and they'll, like, I had a... Uh, someone I know asked someone else to, like, he had the answers to something, but he didn't have time to fill them in online. So he asked him to, you know, to type them in for him and then click OK because he had to go off to work or something. And the other person refused to do it because it violated the honor code and said it for that reason, even though it's not really cheating. But, like, it was very acceptable. And he said, yeah, I understand. It's OK. Like, it was very acceptable to bring up the honor code and say, you know, that's, an, that's, that's too close to violating the honor code, in my opinion. I've had people, like, if you ask them a question on a, on a take-home test, and they say, you know, that's a little too honor code-ish for me. Like, I can't go there. So I think, it's, it's, I think it works. Like, it works much better than what I saw at Berkeley. 
Well, I'd heard that people at Stanford uh, don't. One of the articles that I read said that some students were concerned that there wasn't enough talking about cheating and what it was and what you should do if you saw it. Brent, have, what's your, been your experience? I think the biggest problem is the definition of what's acceptable behavior on something like a take-home test. Like A lot of professors will say, okay, it's all right to discuss the questions with you know other other students in the class, but you can't turn in something too similar. So wh- where I mean, where does that line get get drawn? I mean, can you outline something together? That I mean, sounds probably not. But. So confusing to me, I can't yeah. believe it. To me, it's almost like putting ten thousand dollars on the park bench next to a guy that can't pay his rent. What? what How do the, you decide where that line? Yeah, is? why should a student have to decide? I think it generally gets decided based on common sense. Like, don't write the same answers. Talk about it verbally, but don't write the same answers. Like, you know, I, it's a puzzlement to me about the honor code. I mean, I'm from a public university, and yes, we did have proctors, and I wouldn't call it fear and suspicion. I would just call it um, reasonable supervision. I mean, it didn't offend me at all. But um, in the military with an honor code, it makes sense. You've got people with a common purpose who have all signed up for the same experience. The The common experience at Stanford is just smart folks who are <laughs> necess- whose honor about academia isn't really rele- necessarily relevant to the future, the way the honor about performing in the military is. I, I'm, I'm just amazed that this honor code is so... Uh, prevalent what i what i'd say is inter- the most interesting aspect of an honor code though is the fact that if you like if you guys have ever been really bored in a math class or whatever where they they you have the little blue books and you get a you look yeah. at the back of the honor code mm-hmm. one of the things in the honor code specifically that they say is that you cannot a student cannot be put in a situation where cheating is likely so mm-hmm. I mean, it's one of these things that it puts the onus also on the professor so when a professor says you know t- go home and you know, here's a take-home question, and you can talk to people about it, but you can't write down the same thing. It's almost one of these unfair situations where if a student were to get caught in violation of the honor code, the student could say, well, your directions are so vague, you provided so many opportunities for us to cheat that you are in violation of the honor code as well. Because it specifically states that professors can't put students in that situation. Which sounds like another cop-out, kind of. Oh, you made me cheat. You made it's me a le- It sounds a little bit like a cop-out to but me, it's, too. But it's a legit thing, I mean, at least in my opinion, it seems like. Oh. We have a call here from Scotty. Scott, what's your question? Well, actually, it's more of a comment than a question. And just listening to you talk, I think it's a very interesting discussion. People who are in class... I'm I'm Must sorry, cell phone, phone dropping yeah. out. Oh, yeah, that, that's too phone. bad. Well, we'll just wait till, or maybe we'll. Oh, Scott, get to another zone and call us back. Please. Yes. <laughs> I guess he's driving along it. Um, so I, one thing I wanted to say that I've noticed about the honor code is that uh, it, it, I think it tends to take um, mi- very minor violations and make them not punishable, but to punish major violations very severely. So, like, it tends to, like, skew where, you know, how strictly things are enforced. If there's, like, some minor thing, someone's looking over at someone's paper or something, it's really hard to detect, hard to prove. That kind of thing doesn't get enforced. But if you, like, copy an entire paper, you plagiarize something, or you, you know, very clearly you submit the two same answers, then you get punished pretty severely. I mean, I I was surprised, though, that there is a three strikes thing. I mean, you know, the first one is, what, a suspension for a quarter, quarter, maybe a second one is uh, a year, a third one is expulsion. I'm surprised people get three chances. Oh, yeah, I mean, you want to wow. keep that graduation rate up. 
If you'd like to join the discussion, make a comment or bring up an issue, give us a call at 650-723-9010 or send us an email at whatwouldyourmothersay at kzsu.org. Well, uh, it's all very interesting. How do you feel about the assumption that people at Stanford or a similar university will not cheat? Uh, I mean, it's... You think that's that's a good attitude to have? I think it's slightly personally. I think it's unrealistic. I think... I feel it's safe at Stanford, um, knowing the student body and knowing the type of people that they accept. I wouldn't feel confident extending that to even Harvard because I don't know the type of kids who go to Harvard. Oh, terrible. Uh, terrible. They're, horrible. They're, they're, they're bad people. They're bad people. <laughs> I, I feel like it's, it's more likely to happen at schools that are pressure cookers. So I actually well, and isn't surprised. Stanford a pressure cooker? No. Not as much as Harvard. No. I went on a trip over spring break to, to Guatemala with some Stanford students and Harvard students. The Harvard students were – it was really funny because I expected that Harvard envy that you have whenever people are in a room with Harvard students. And there wasn't any of that. People at Stanford, people at Harvard were very envious of the Stanford lifestyle. Like people are friendly to each other. They're nice. They're relaxed. They're outside playing volleyball or ultimate frisbee or something. Like it's not, it's not a pressure cooker. And I think you're right that like the environment that you're in is, if it's very, it's very competitive and kind of cruel to each other, where you do anything to succeed, then people are more likely to cheat. Are you saying all the, the, the greatest pressure with Stanford is getting in? Yeah, I, well, they open, I don't know if that's, it, that's true. Getting, I think there's also great pressure to get out successfully, but that's not always defined by the kinds of things that are measured on a take-home final. There's a difference between pressure and competition, too. I mean, there's pressure to do well, and that may come from a variety of places. Like, I think a lot of students at Stanford, it comes from themselves. Yeah. They want to do well because, you know, that's what's driven them. Type to, A overachievers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, that, that, that type of people. Or, you know, it can come from parents and peers. Just being around people who are doing well will cause you to excel. That's the whole idea behind having these lofty institutions, right? Are there... Um, are there many students that see C's on their uh, grades? I think that's a uh, big issue with the faculty. You know what's really They're, funny about Stanford that really, it, it, this is one thing that bothers me about Stanford, is that people don't talk about things like that. Like, you have to get to be a certain level of friendship with somebody before they'll tell you they got a yeah. C on something. That's like, that's more of it. They could tell you they slept with 10 guys, they were <laughs> yeah. drunk, and they went to the hospital. <laughs> they did, they they did cocaine them. off of the back of their professors like on the desk like yeah. all this stuff's fine but they will not tell you they got to see till they really know you yeah. and and even then they'll be reluctant i mean it all yeah I, they'll kind of put it in a quick layer i mean it, it's yeah, it's like i gotta see but, but, but then you'll can the final <laughs> but i mean that's what i've heard you know gripes from stanford professors is that students will come in and complain and whine about the grades mm-hmm. all the time so. If it's not an A or a B. Yeah, yeah. And or I'm an not an a. a. in that case, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Big, big time. Well, now, okay, let's talk about the consequences of turning someone in for cheating. Because part of this honor code is that if you see someone cheat, you are obligated under this code, correct, to turn them in. Yeah. What are the consequences? I think that would be very, It's very... anonymous, right? So as long as yeah. no one can figure out that you did it. I, do you guys know anyone who's ever turned anyone in for cheating? No. Uh, well, I, I have someone in my... Uh, Someone who I was very, not really close to, kind of like, kind of, kind of friend who um, got pulled aside by a TA for cheating. But basically, I mean, it was one of these instances where it was really obvious. Yeah. We got an, uh, the highest grade in one test after delaying it, taking it for a couple of days, and then getting uh-huh. the lowest grade in the next. But nothing was done. Um, yeah. But it was de- like one of these instances where I think either the TA picked up on, or maybe a student cried, you know, wolf. But I mean, at the end of the day, nothing was particularly done, and ironically, and it's finally scored right in the middle. 
Uh, so it turned out a okay at the end, but um, which is what he would have gotten if you averaged the two grades previous. Yeah. But um, it doesn't really. I mean, it's you know what it's kind of like. It's like um, if you guys ever been to like a shopping mall and you've ever seen like someone try and shoplift. Like I've been in a mall a couple times. Yeah. Like, everyone knew that someone was going to shoplift, and they walk out of the store. And the alarms go off, but no one's going to pull them aside because no one wants to, like, set the wrong image for the rest of the customers. Mm-hmm. No TA wants to cry, you've cheated. Like, no professional wants to say, you've cheated, or else, it, you know, like, everyone else gets kind of a, like... Yeah, you you're know, kind gets, of breaking ranks with the yeah, pack. I, yeah. I, when I was in... I went through orientation, really, because I'm a transfer student, so I went through orientation not too long ago. And at orientation, they had a big scare presentation on the honor code and on violating it. I don't know if you guys remember back yeah. to freshman year. Mm-hmm. And there was one case I thought was really unfair where this person had, like, forgotten to list some references on a paper, and they were a senior, and they... You know, failed that class, which meant they couldn't complete their major, which meant they couldn't graduate, which meant they couldn't get this job. And they had this whole story. It's actually a true story about how this person's life was ruined or, I don't know, at least their next year or so was ruined because of this one lack of mentioning references. And that actually made me less likely because the punishment was so draconian and I felt unfair. Like, they should have maybe had to get a zero on that paper but then had a chance to rewrite it or, I don't know, something. Because, and it made me, like, more reluctant to turn someone in if I see them doing something. Huh. Yeah, well, I mean, the vast majority of honor code violations, I'm pretty sure, is from computer science programs where they have a program that runs through and checks for code that's exactly the same. Uh. So a lot of times people aren't turning each other in. Most of the violations are caught by a third party. We have an email here. It says, I recently turned in a paper to my professor. When I was writing it, I plagiarized certain parts of it, and now I'm beginning to panic because I think the professor will catch me or realize what I've done. I'm wondering if I should fess up to him or just hope that he doesn't realize what I've done. I think it depends on the kind of plagiarism. If you forgot yeah. to list some references, if there are things that you could have, that would have been okay if you put a footnote next to them saying this was from such and such a source, you should just say, oh, I forgot to put these footnotes. Here's the revised version. But if it's something you can't excuse away in any way. Well, oh, you know, this is just a classic cheater's kind of question. Here, he's not afraid that he's really violated any obligation. True. He's afraid he's going to get caught. Uh, and right. to be very cynical, I don't think, from from a poli sci perspective, I don't think <laughs> any poli sci professor is going to catch you if you cheat. Huh. Uh, only if you're <laughs> writing about something that they really, really know about that they've done like most of their life's research on. Are they really going to know like if you plagiarize something from a book? You know how a professor? Because I I taught writing um, at a university back east, and you can tell because sometimes the students' work is so much significantly better, or they're referring to <laughs> stuff that. I mean, you just look at it and say, oh, my God. Oh, you mean the plagiarized work is better well, than the student yeah, produces? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's completely, you know, the, the, the whole attitude is different and, and everything. You know, I'm going to assume I'm the only one at this table who has cheated. And I'm not, because <laughs> like Barbara, the um, only one. I'm, valid I'm not proud of it, but, you know, I got myself in a spot. And my brother and I were taking exactly the same computer course, as Brant mentioned. And I kind of got it. And he kind of didn't. And in those days, you had these test decks, and you'd, you know, you'd have a stack, two inches thick of cards with the program you'd written on it. And he didn't <laughs> have, he didn't know how to do it. It was due the next morning, and I gave him my test deck. And how stupid was I? Because of course, I'd get into class the next day, and they, they said, we want to see these social security numbers. And oh. um, it was really a life lesson. I mean, I felt like I couldn't say no to my. So that's why I'm here to say. I mean, I think cheating happens among well-meaning people. I didn't feel like I could say no to my brother, but of course it was exactly the wrong course. And of course I got a big fat zero. 
Oh. Not for the whole course, but I got a zero on that assignment, and I should have. Yeah. Well, I have a question about um, Stanford's Honor Code. Uh, there are programs that you can run papers through to determine if it's plagiarized. Now, do courses, do professors at Stanford do no. that? Bec- yeah. I, I, I agree. I no, I don't. I think that would violate their part of the honor code because they're supposed to have a presumption of innocence. I've got to say, I can't imagine that technology is easily and available. I don't know why they wouldn't take advantage of it. I think doesn't the pro, the, the power class, the program in writing and rhetoric that all students have to take, they do something like that. I don't I'm, know. I'm not sure, but that's, that's for some reason, question. I've heard of this in mm-hmm. the context of a writing mm-hmm. class. For, for mainstream professors, I think the real reason why they don't do it is because they don't care enough. I mean, like, professors are paid by Stanford to do research. They're not here to, you know, to teach. They're, they're, teaching is incidental. And, and, like, caring enough is going to get in the way of their research. And it's oh. one of these things that I don't, they don't catch people because they don't are think, so cynical. Uh, well, I'll I don't tell, think they care enough. <laughs> Matt, I'll tell you something. When I taught this course, I cared. But I'll tell you that hoops that I had to go through to prove it and to protect myself against a student who would there try to get me fired as a result of it was it was simply not worth it also, how many students were in your in that class i had um i think i had 20 students see i mean a lot of these classes have you know 100 students right, in them. Right. what are you supposed to do go through with a five-tooth comb for all of them no i think you just you scan them <laughs> you scan them in into a, t- a program yeah yeah well, we're going to take That's a short break. So we're going to take a short <laughs> break, and uh, when we come back, we, we're going to talk a little bit about the personal honor code at home. Welcome back to What Would Your Mother Say? Coming to you live from the studios at KZSU, Stanford University. I'm Susan Morris. Tonight we're having a roundtable discussion between the students and moms. Joining me in the studio is Matt, a college sophomore. Hey, Susan. And Jessica, a transfer junior student. Hello. And Brent, you're graduating, what, in two weeks? Yeah, the 18th. That's great. Almost free. (laughs) And also at the table is another mother, Barbara. Hi, Susan. On today's show, you and I are representing the parental viewpoint. I don't feel too badly doing that, do you? I think it's a pretty heavy burden we're bearing here. (laughs) You're holding up well. Well, the kids are still talking to us. So (laughs) if you'd like to put in your two cents worth, give us a call at 650-723-9010 or email us at what would your mother say. Okay, I want to talk to you about the personal honor code at home. And uh, I want to talk about taking stuff from your home. Now, the... This happens, I think, because you have a sense that this is your house, this is your stuff, these are your parents. Would you uh, ever take um, a, a, a CD player that was at home and just assume that uh, it was yours? No, no, I definitely take bottles of wine from home. <laughs> <laughs> Never CD players. <laughs> Never CD players. Have, has your father ever mentioned this or asked you about that? What, bottles of wine? Uh-huh. Oh, well, I mean, usually when he finds bottles of wine missing, I'm at home and I've drank them, but that's a little different. I mean, I don't think he would, I don't think he would pick up on the fact that if I walked off to Stanford with five bottles of wine, that he wouldn't accuse you of stealing. I I don't think he would. It's different. I mean, he would, he may notice, but it wouldn't be like you stole five bottles of wine from me. It'd be like, Are where did like- my five bottles of wine go? And I'd be like, well, they're up with me at Stanford. And he's like, well, don't drink them all too quickly. And then that would be that. No, these aren't, <laughs> I assume these aren't Charles Shaw from uh, Trader Joe's. That these are, <laughs> oh, these no, are- these are Charles Shaw's from Trader Joe's. <laughs> <laughs> That's why he doesn't care. He can afford the BMW. Exactly. Exactly. Well, Brent, if... Um, What's the situation in your house? How well, do you I mean, feel about the stuff? I guess it depends on the context, right? Like, if it's only for a couple of days, it's mine, you know, for that period of time. If I feel like my parents use it all the time and I'm going to be taking something that they would use, I'd talk to them about it first. 
I just. What about you're moving away? You're moving to well, you've been away, but now you're moving to Southern California for your job. You yeah. need furniture. Yeah. Uh, would you take your room, your furniture from your room? Yeah, I mean, I talked to my parents about it, and I'm going to take my bed, and that's about it, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> because they said we don't want you to take any more, or no? Because I mean, what else do I own? I guess a desk, but the desk is you know kind of crappy, so I'm going to get a new one. Well, the million dollar question is: Is it a twin? No. That is a good question. It's I'm kind of surprised. King. You have such good questions. <laughs> I'm surprised that the um, guys are so casual about taking stuff from home. The older my daughter gets, the more I feel like, well, wait a minute, that's mine. You don't get to touch that. I really want her to ask permission. And it's gotten odd enough that even the computer. I mean, because when your kids are little, you do everything in the world for them. And then... And then they spill water on the laptop, and they total a car, and kind of all kinds of stuff happen. And you begin <laughs> to think, well, you know what? Well, huh. maybe when they're maybe. little, yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> hey. yeah. when they're growing up, let's put yes. it that way. And so, I mean, you get to a point where you think maybe I'm going to kind of protect my goods a little bit more than this. Well, my daughter, oops. It happened to me that my daughter was home and and she fiddled around with the screen. You know, what do they call that? Um, The screensaver? The screensaver and the picture or whatever. And I was really annoyed. You know, she was saying... What? Why? Well, that's so minor. Put up on the screen. Yeah, server, okay. Sure. Well, true. no, there wasn't any issue about that. But this is my computer. I don't think I would. I could understand well, yeah, that actually. I, I, I really can. Space, I guess. And Susan, yeah. I'm with you on that. My daughter yeah, said, "I'd like to clean up your computer for you and have it run faster." And I said, "It runs fast enough for me." I don't, yeah, I don't. Want I'm that very then. protective of my computer. It's like an extension of my mm-hmm. brain. Like I wouldn't want anyone else messing with it either. So yeah. you're acting like a parent, but I think I'd like to say Jessica to... joins the female club on this. I think yeah, it's the right. female Jessica's thing. Maybe that's it. We're gonna parent thing on my computer as well. I don't want people messing around with that stuff. Yeah, okay. I can take I care of it. I pity the fool who touches my computer. But I'll yeah, tell you that's because of what's on it, though, right? <laughs> <laughs> what's on your screensaver? <laughs> but I think I, what I would advise you guys is be be conscious of the fact that at some point the parents, the mothers, don't think it's your that it's our stuff. I have to confess that I steal shampoo. I do. Like, <laughs> is it like from from hotels or from your mother? No, from my home. Like, I go, I go visit. My, I'm really close to my uncles, and I go visit there, and and uh, it's kind of like my home away from home because my parents are on the other coast. And you know, like if I need toothpaste or shampoo, I'll take a bottle of toothpaste. Uh, tube of toothpaste or a bottle of shampoo like i'm i guess I'm that's keep, evil of me but I, i'm gonna keep that in mind if we ever socialize <laughs> this is from people this is from family like i know they wouldn't mind okay well here's a question <laughs> in terms of respect at home if you uh you're out on a date you're you're staying at home it's a holiday or you're back home and you have a date and you don't bother to return home after a date you're staying over with the the other person do you call home do you feel that it would be respectful to let your parents know that you weren't going to come home Uh, yeah yeah i usually do you do yeah uh, absolutely just because you know they're if they don't then they're worried about me not i'm not worried that they're going to say no you must come home they just want to know where i am and so that's i wouldn't feel comfortable telling them it's a date i would just say like i was out with some people and i went home like i don't know no 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 but i mean would you call that night and say oh yeah i'm not coming home i would so wait a minute jessica you'd either well, you'd lie by omission. I wouldn't lie. I just wouldn't make. I wouldn't clarify. Okay. Let's just put it that way. Like I wouldn't say I'm going on a date. I'm going to sleep over at someone's house. We're going to have sex. <laughs> that's why I won't be home. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> that's, 
front. I'd be like, I'm going home. I'm going to this person's house, and I'll see you in the morning, and uh, I'll be a very happy man in the morning. Uh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay. But they're bachelors over there in their bachelor pad. Yeah, all right. Well, how would you feel if your dad called you and said that? <laughs> well, I, it was really funny, actually. I was down in L.A. over the weekend, and I had we. my dad took me out to dinner with his but who I think is his girlfriend. Uh, you didn't ask. Sure. Well, no, I knew. But then the next day, my friend, my my friend, our mutual friends between me and my dad said that my dad was looking for someone else. So I'm not entirely sure what this what this woman was doing in my dad's life. But uh, she's my dad's girlfriend. Leaving. For the moment being, yeah. yeah, yeah. And I wasn't Free too meal. disturbed by it. I wasn't too disturbed. Now, wait a minute. So what weren't you disturbed by? The fact that he not come home? Oh no! I'm I'm I guarantee that I'm pretty sure they've had sex. I mean, like it's just like it's a it's whatever. I'm sure they did, but it's whatever, the point is, right? was it in your face? Were you aware of it? Oh, did he come uh, home? That I'm getting really uncomfortable oh, with this one conversation. Night, one night, that, that Susan's rubbing Susan. her temples. <laughs> I mean, yes. he's, he's talked to me about having to go out and buy condoms. Oh, so I don't. I mean, it's like whatever. maybe it's a male bonding thing. You know, maybe it's no. different. No, I'm trying to. My dad has never done anything like that. Well. Chris, Chris, you have to understand that Matt's yeah, father is a right. widow. Yeah, I mean, stuff, I'm so. saying it's not a guy to guy thing. I don't think. <laughs> I mean, do you guys not talk about that with with my peers or with my yeah, father? Yeah, peers. Oh, peers. Yeah, yeah that's, that's fine. Okay, we're going to take a short station break, and we'll be right back. I'm Susan Morris. Welcome back to What Would Your Mother Say? If you're just joining us, you're listening to KZSU at Stanford. Here in the studio with me is another mother, Barbara. Hi, Susan. Hi, and along with us are students Brent. Hi, Susan. Matt. Hey, Susan. And Jessica. Hi, Susan. Today, for the first time, we're having a roundtable discussion with students and the parents on such things as honor codes, sex, and family secrets. What I'd like to talk about is, before we do talk about family secrets, is money and how big of an issue is money on this campus oh you know how to pick them i i went to this alumni dinner this is i should i know brent has a similar story so i don't want to upstage it but i'll i'll just tell like this the weird part of it okay it was this beautiful house with this extremely rich woman and her extremely rich husband and it was she was very nice and very gracious to have us over there but most of her discussion was about the rich, famous people she knows that are like a hundred times richer than she is. She knows Warren Buffett. She knows Bill Gates. She was on the yacht with, you know, Paul Allen, and and then she was hanging out with some big Hollywood producer. And it was really interesting how the how the content of her conversation was no different than the content of someone's like, oh, I went over her house and it was amazing, and her <laughs> husband's rich. like it was so funny how it just like completely transfers. And I don't know, it made me feel kind of sad about being about people being rich because they I mean if they're rich they're just competing against these other people richer people the richer yeah. people and they're like have this celebrity fascination with ooh what's Paul what kind of yacht does Paul Allen have and you huh. know there have been studies done care. that show that your only is your happiness is determined by how your wealth is compared to your friends Right. So, so her friends are really rich. So her friends are really rich. So she is not as happy as she could be. If you could yeah. say, well, she I- should be friends with me then. <laughs> the, the much bigger issue is why is she tying in her happiness into how rich she is? Well, maybe that's how she well, got rich. Like that's what motivates her. Now, do you are is know. there a campus divide at Stanford because of the students who have a lot of money and the ones who don't have as much or any? Brent? 
Uh, I mean, you can tell the people who have come from ridiculously wealthy backgrounds. How can you tell? Uh, you know, you hear about the multi-thousand dollar shopping trips. and So they brag about it, too. I mean, like, yeah, and also people gossip about it. <laughs> I mean, yeah. there's, there's two sides to the, to the thing. And then th- these are also the type of people who will invite 50 people to their beach house and, you know, For Santa spring Cruz. break. Yeah, and, like, you hear about that a lot. And, I, yeah, it, ju- it just is. But I kind of had, speaking of going to a really nice nice home, I had kind of an, an opposite experience. It was really a good experience. Uh, a friend of a friend. I was good too. I just yeah. <laughs> just interesting. I had like a little dinner party in like in the Los Altos Hills or something like that, and uh, just big, huge mansion, beautiful gardens, and yet all of the conversation was fine. Like it had nothing to do with wealth or money. It was just like you know normal college student conversation. I thought it was oh okay. I think I can handle this, even though I. Like everywhere I looked around, my jaw started dropping. Oh, there's the tennis court. Okay, there's the swimming pool. There's yeah, the- there's the pool house, the size of a house. Oh, I mean, oh, and the guest quarters and the. I think right. people gossip about that kind of stuff more than people talk about it. Like people that are very rich don't talk about it, but they, you know, people will say they'll pull you aside and they'll say, "Did you know what the? You know their last name, right?" Like that's yeah. that last name. <laughs> I've, I've, I've noticed there's like a tendency amongst Stanford students to kind of brag about what kind of. Uh, low wealth they came from to get in there because oh. everyone's so rich be like oh well my house is you know a, a piece of crap blah, blah, blah. I, I haven't came from noticed this, that you know? That's, I haven't noticed that at all it's actually. like it's like the typical American thing though to be like um, oh I'm middle class you know so like a lot of cases you know, like there was this one when my TA was telling me about this one argument this girl had where the girl was like, oh, yeah, I was raised in a middle-class family. And then the person asked, well, what would you define as middle-class? It's up to $200,000. And it's like, excuse me, like, that's anything but middle-class. I mean, like, a lot of – I feel like a lot of kids try – like, they everyone wants to be from humble backgrounds, I feel like, in a lot of cases. I don't know. I don't want to be from a humble background. I think it's everyone who's not from a humble I think it's everyone who's not from a humble background wants to be from a humble background. Except they don't want to lose the money and privileges. But if you're you're like, if you're talking to somebody and like you're, you know, chatting with them, you don't really know the person, you're like, you know, you want to like, you don't want to come Equalize it. You you don't want to be like, yeah, I'm upper class. Like my family makes $200,000 a year and I live in a really nice suburb in, in Los Angeles, which is my case, right? Like, I don't, you don't want to like come out and say that. You want to be like, yeah, like upper middle class. Like, or, you know, like put a little like yeah. pleasantry to it. Like say, yeah, I'm like from blah, blah, blah. Like, I, I mean, and for that reason, I haven't really experienced like a lot of the gossiping or, you know, the such. Like, oh, usually what happens is, and for instance, like someone will say, oh, this last name. And you'll just say like, oh, that, you know, like, cool. That sounds, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then just kind of like, you know, for usually with my friends, it's just kind of like, okay, whatever. Like, you know, that person has a lot of money and. Our families don't, but we're we're here, and it doesn't really. So, are you saying, Matt, at Stanford, then, and that it's that it's all on some level you're equal? Yes and no. I mean, like <laughs> you're not equal because you can't go out to like a restaurant. You can't go out to Sundance every single day if you're <laughs> not like you know Bill Gates' son or somebody you know like yeah. and, and do that type of thing. But like, it's all college students are united. And ninety-eight percent of college students are united by living on college student accounts. Like you know, we don't make a lot of money. Yeah. We, you know, our parents like don't like us asking for money. In a lot of cases, they see us as black holes for money. We're always struggling to find more money. I mean, like. Yeah, like it's your parents' thing. money too. Like yeah. it's not your money. I mean, I think it's different. Maybe it's different when you get older and it's your money, and then like you can say, "Well, I was successful and you were not," and there's some kind of thing. But here, it's like I mean, I don't know if people do, but but here, it's not your money either way. It's not your money if you're rich. And it's not your money if you're poor. So that's an equalizing factor. I think that's a point well taken. I'm just uh, 
stuck in the fact when Matt was using the expression upper class, and there's such a value judgment in that that it's somehow preferable as opposed to my family is wealthy. Well, huh. I, I, huh, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't hear that. I, I'm not saying that. Matt was intending that, yeah. but it's it, to even refer to oneself or a friend as upper class I think to me is way money. different than money. Well, it's um, no, no. It's 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 almost frowned. Like at least in my experience, it's frowned upon that like people who are upper class don't like to refer themselves as upper class. They like yeah. to refer themselves as upper middle class uh, because they want to make themselves sound like oh I'm like I'm not who everyone thinks I am. You know, I'm I'm just like the average Joe. Like I'm going around like you know struggling along because rich people have struggles too, right? But they tend to be like, I don't want to think like I'm upper class because in the minute you start thinking you're upper class, like you shouldn't complain because you're rich. Like, uh, I don't right. care if you're getting taxed fifty percent, but you're still making, you know, two hundred. No, under Bush, they're not being taxed fifty percent. <laughs> I think they're going down to twenty-eight uh, percent. I something. think Susan, well, you're revealing your politics. <laughs> <laughs> your politics right are showing. <laughs> That's absolutely right. Well, we have just a few minutes. I want to talk. Uh, this is a heavy-duty one to end the show with, but family secrets. Um, I, Jessica, hope you don't mind, but earlier in the show, you did refer to your father's drinking. Yeah. Now, when you were growing up, did you, how did you handle yeah, that? Yeah, my family had a lot of secrets, um, <laughs> and uh, nobody talked about them, and I didn't realize people could talk about their family issues. I thought everybody pretended everything was fine all the time, but I think as I've gotten older and I've talked with like other family members of my generation, I've kind of built trust with them. It's we 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 talk about all the family secrets. It's like we have this pact of our own that we all talk about what all the adults don't want to talk about, but the adults still don't talk about. It. Like they still won't. Like they they cover it up with these really ridiculous lines. Like oh, they're trying the best they can, which means like. Nothing. Which means they're screwing they're up, horrible, basically. Yeah. <laughs> like they're trying the best they can means they're not in prison. <laughs> like, <it's> like, <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I don't know. It's yeah. just like they're very. Yeah. I don't. They like to cover it up because they have a stake yeah. in that. But I think as our generation has a stake in being honest and open about it because they're not our foibles, I guess. So. Well, I, I interestingly, I had lunch last week with friends I've had since seventh grade, and we've known each other for a long time, and this, the secrets just came pouring out. And, of course, we really trust each other at this point. But they were talking not only about past problems, but ones that they were really going through now. It was it was, it was, was kind of nice because when I was a teenager, once again, I had lots of secrets that you just never, you really went out of your way to not reveal to anyone. Brent, do you have friends who you think might have some secrets? Uh, doesn't everybody have secrets? I mean... <laughs> well, family type. Family type? Family secrets? I mean, it's hard to tell. I mean, mm-hmm. I know some stuff about the friends that I'm really close to that definitely wouldn't, they wouldn't have revealed to me if I just met them. Mm-hmm. But I mean, mm-hmm. it's hard to say because a lot of times people are trying so hard to keep them a secret and keep them inward that they're not going to let anything slip, not even hints, unless yeah. they really want you to know. Yeah. Matt? Um, when your mom was sick, did you talk to people? You said your mom was sick with cancer for a, a long time. Did you talk to people about it? Yes and no, but for different reasons. I mean, like you just—I mean, for some family issues, you just don't want the pity um, mm-hmm. because the pity is just this like common reaction. People don't know what to say, and that's the last thing you yeah. want to deal with. Like when when stuff is going horribly, you want things to be as normal as possible, and like not have to deal with a lot of bad things. So you may want to get extensions on working, like. And get kind of the upside of like, you know, what usually happens when you're in a bad time, which is like get benefits from other people. But the last thing you want to do is have people change their behavior around you. And that's like the, and usually you don't want to tell people because you know the natural thing is for people to slip into that. To feel sorry for you. I'm sorry to say our time has run out. 
We've had lots to talk about. I think we'll do more roundtable discussions. Jessica and Brent, thank you. Thank you very much, Susan. Yeah, thanks for having me. And Matt and Barbara. Thanks, thanks Susan. Thanks for coming on the show. Well, that's it for tonight. Send me, send us an email and let us know what you thought of tonight's show and any suggestions for future topics. We welcome your comments. That's what would your mother say at kzsu.org. For the record, the opinions expressed on what would your mother say are not necessarily those of KZSU or Stanford University, just of my panel. They are not intended to be a substitute for professional advice and or counseling. Today's show was put to help, put together with help from Mark Lawrence. Vince Macias engineered the show.